So Jason. good to have you on the show today. How are you today? Thanks, Thanks a lot, man. Uh, I'm good, good. Just a quiet day here. They're ducking out of the rain. Yeah, where are you at today? Uh, I'm in Brooklyn, in Williamsburg. Nice. Working from home today to to get some quiet and not be bothered by. Uh, well, I shouldn't say bothered, but I have a you know run a startup team, so yeah. When I go in, everyone's asking for everything all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're the uh, you're the you're the CEO, founder, bottle washers, sales director. Yes, all exactly. Those yeah. Well, good. So my, yeah. Cool. Well, I'm really excited to have you on today. It's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, let's just get it. Yeah, let's just get into it. So, why don't you let give the audience an introduction of who you are? Sure. That's kind of a big question who I am, but I'll I'll just kind of do the quick 30 second version, and then I guess we'll have an hour afterwards. Um, so I'm, as you said, a CEO and co-founder of a contract platform, uh, SaaS platform called Outlaw. Uh, we make the contract process for everyone, uh, for all of our customers, just much more fluid and easy and, and dare I say, even enjoyable. Um, this is my second startup. So I've been in New York, uh, kind of in the New York tech scene for about 15 years since graduating school. And um, I hope, hope that I never have to work for anyone else again. <laughs> I swore off of it the first time and then got sucked back in and, uh, and now, now I've sworn off of it again. So. Uh, been at, yeah, so been in New York for 15 years, and um, yeah, I'm sure we'll get into all the other aspects of who I am. Oh, we definitely will. We definitely will. <laughs> so for the audience, I Evan and I know each other. Our, our wives actually work together, and are not our wives. Uh, Evan's Evan's significant other and my wife work together. <laughs> and sorry about that. No worries. And. Um, the net net of that is Evan and I are neighbors in a, a small town up in the Catskills. So we both have houses by the same builder, same neighborhood. Yep. So we see each other up there more than we see each other in the city, which is very normal. Actually, I see almost all my friends up in the Catskills and almost never in the city because they're just too busy during the week. So that's how Evan and I know each other. And so Evan, this is the part of the show where we get to talk about our first impressions of each other when we first met. And I think for us, that was about... Honestly, almost six years ago. Like, I think, Feb I think I first met you when you guys came to see our house in February. Of yeah, yeah. First time I yeah. met you, and I, I, I know Christy prior to that. So, since it's my show, you get to go first. What was your first impression <laughs> of me? <laughs> oh man, I was gonna. I was hoping you would go first. Um, no, that'd be way yeah, too easy. I mean, I mean, I think like the, my first impression of you uh, was kind of as, as you said, since since we met through our partners. Uh, my, my first impression of you was, was kind of as a, as a plus one, no offense. Uh, it was kind of, you know, it was it's still the case. Christine Kirsten. <laughs> it's, it's still but the case. Think, let's be clear. I mean, I mean, honestly, I think my first, my first like real impression where I felt like I knew you, um, was that day in the pool at, at your party upstate. Yeah. Uh, I want to keep it PC. So I, I don't know, if, I don't know if I can say much more <laughs> than that. <laughs> But uh, it was it was really fun and funny and, um, and I think it was I think it was spot on and accurate because you are a super uh, generous and warm person so yeah. I got to see Thanks. that and, of course <laughs> <laughs> thank you for keeping it PG um, I will yeah, expand yeah. upon that a little bit so uh, every Fourth of July Kirsten my wife Kirsten and I we throw a, a party we have a pool at the house and uh, the 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 inebriations were flowing quite nicely that day. <laughs> yes. And I, yes, I was very, I was even more friendly than usual and probably even more fun, bordering on not so much fun. And so I know what you're talking about. So thank you. <laughs> no, no, you, to me, to me, it was pure fun. <coughs> oh, I'm sure it was and, very and entertaining. 
And you hold a superlative actually as well, which is uh, that's the most inebriated I've ever seen someone whilst while remaining like conscious and standing. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I love it. So uh, now it's my turn. So my first impression of you is, yeah, was, I don't really remember much other than you or Christie's plus one. I think my impression was also, I don't know if it was that party because maybe I didn't remember. I do remember talking to you, but it might've been another party where I just remember like meeting you and thinking you're obviously extremely intelligent and extremely thoughtful. And I think you and I might have almost opposite personalities and like, you're a very, like I'm a very extroverted, like sales, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, I'm going to drop some serious knowledge on people, but I'm going to really think about it. Um, which is, which I really appreciate because, um, if everybody was like me, it would be, it would, nothing would ever get done. We just sit and talk all day. So I what I really appreciate about you is like, we always have a thoughtful conversation. You help me to slow down. I think that was my initial thing when I first connected you. It was like, this is somebody I can actually take my time with because my wife's in sales. I work with salespeople. Um, so my impression of you is like extremely intelligent, extremely thoughtful (coughs) while also being a, uh, yeah, it's a really like loving and kind person as well. So oh, thanks. enough with the, enough with the bro love. Let's get into it. <laughs> so first question for you, Evan, yeah. is what is something that you nerd out about? Magic the Gathering. I have, uh, I'm a lifelong on and off fan. I've never been like a serious player, but I, I feel like I spent all my nerd points on that uh, from the time when I was like in seventh grade. Um, and as a result, I missed a lot of other nerdy things. I, like people are like, oh, you must be into Star Wars or um, Dungeons and Dragons. I'm like, nope, skipped all those. I was just really into magic <laughs> to the social detriment uh, for several years, several key years in there. Uh, but now it's now it's cool because uh, it's just kind of like a once or twice a year, like strong burst of nostalgia. Uh, that I'll I'll get together with one or two friends from like middle school, high school, and play magic all day long, uh, and open packs and do do the do the like do that thing. <laughs> Man, I had no idea. That's amazing. That's amazing. Have Have you ever been and played at one of the super cool like game places here in New York City? Yeah, I've been to. Uh, there's there's a there's a. Um, I've never played there, but I, like I'll I'll buy cards again at the at the those once or twice a year when I'll buy cards and like and nerd out with a friend. I'll I'll usually go to a twenty sided store, which is actually really close now to my to my apartment. Um, and I know they do like um, Friday night magic nights and stuff, and have all kinds of tournaments. I'm kind of like I don't know if I can bring myself to to achieve that that level of nerddom. Or I guess I'm I'm probably already there. I just can't bring myself to admit it yet. <laughs> but uh, but someday, maybe that's a goal for 2020 because it would be super fun to play more Magic. To to go to go to one of those, you know, and and admit that that is who I am. <laughs> yeah. So this is amazing. First of all, I had no idea. Um, I've never played Magic. I'm a video gamer. Yeah. So when you say 20 sided oh, yeah. die. That's a D. That's D and D rolls, right? Yeah, it's a reference to D and D, which I've never actually played. Um, I haven't either. Yeah, I'm a huge gamer too, but at this point, I feel like gaming is so mainstream. I don't even know if it's um, if it's like a nerd out thing. I'm very yeah. proud, actually, that uh, and some people are not sufficiently shocked by this number, but I played World of Warcraft on and off for like ten years. Um, currently off as of like five years ago, but 
um, it tells you how much you've played if you oh, want to check at any time. Oh, yeah, God. and I, I think it was, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was upwards of 6,000 hours. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's a lot of time, but like most people, most people watch TV for that much time over a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and I actually gain a whole lot more you know, there's 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 so many aspects of that of a game like that that people who don't who don't play or have never experienced that just can't really contemplate. There's a huge social aspect. There's a leadership aspect. Um, I actually hired one of my longtime friends who I hired at my first job. Um, he had put raid leader on his resume. And oh, that's awesome. Other, other people there didn't know, and it was it was in like early days of WoW. And I was like, you know, this means that this guy can command the attention and respect of 40 people through just text chat who have no other, like, no, nothing holding them or requiring them to, to like, listen to him. That's so good. <laughs> that, that's, like, a real qualifier for a producer. Which <laughs> so, yeah, I guess I, I nerd out about, um, about games as well, particularly with respect to, like, social, social dynamics in yeah. virtual worlds. Yeah, I just want to make it clear to the audience, we're talking to somebody who's been the CEO of two companies, has built a product from scratch, has held down a relationship, has done really well for himself as a human being, and has played over 6,000 hours of WoW. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know what we're specifically referring to, just Google Leroy Jenkins. Yes. And, and you will see what a raid looks like. That's the classic, the classic scene. And I, I'm assuming you were not in that raid party. Or maybe you're Leroy. Raid you're not it's, Leroy. It's, yeah, I'm not Leroy. It, it's like it's I think it's widely debated whether that's real or not because it's so well done if it's not real but it's I uh, didn't know that and there and then there were spoofs of it there are live spoofs have you seen these Leroy no. lives oh man no Google Leroy lives oh my God, yes. has basically the same scenarios in corporate settings it's like the I've same seen... script applied to something like like planning to go into a board meeting so I've seen I've seen, uh, there's a show Workaholics. They uh -huh. did a spoof of that. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. It was really funny. I think the Simpsons did. It's, it's like a real yeah, pop yeah. culture reference now. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you actually use the term. You're like, oh, you're about to do a Leroy. <laughs> so good. That's amazing. Well, well, thank you for sharing that. I of course. had no idea. I had no idea. So uh, maybe you can introduce me to Magic. I've never, I've actually never played any sort of card games like that. I only play video games. So yeah, I, you know, I'd love to. It's, it's a, the trick with that game is that it's so freaking complex at this point and it, there's no way it's like they try to do starter stuff but it's like it's really it's a really high barrier to entry there's so much learning you have to be ready to like commit to learning for like three three hours before you can actually do oh my god do anything <laughs> so one thing so, i one thing i can guarantee you yeah yeah, upstate. Uh, we, so we play a lot of Settlers of Catan, which is yeah. much, which is a ton of fun, but much easier. One thing I can guarantee you is that Kirsten will never play Magic the Gathering. Yeah. Like she'd be like, what? What's a gnome yeah. or what's an out? Like she could just care less. Christy's been a really good sport about that stuff over the years. She like, she learned enough that it was like, you know, she was uh, able to play a game or two, but it's definitely not her thing. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. That is a, uh, that is definitely a nerdy answer to a question about that, but in a fun way. And you obviously get a lot accomplished <laughs> while still playing Magic the Gathering and World of Warcraft and all the other stuff. So uh, next, we're going to talk a little bit about your comfort zone. 
And we're going to start with something that's inside of your comfort zone that might be outside of somebody else's comfort zone. Anything come to mind? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think my, my uh, inside and outside of my comfort zone kind of map directly to inside and outside of my own head. <laughs> to, and to your point earlier about uh, introvert, extrovert, I'm, um, I certainly identify as an introvert. I, like, I love people and I, and I like uh, spending time with people, but I'm much more comfortable one-on-one and so then in like a, a party setting or a group setting um, and uh, not even much more comfortable. I mean, I'm comfortable, you know, with a team or something that I've built, of course, but, but it's uh, the measure I generally do is like, does it, does it give me, which, which one gives me energy versus which one kind of takes energy away. And I'm, my comfort zone is like coding all day long. I'm just in my own head, building my own world and I can do it for longer than anyone else I know. Like I'll, I'll code for, if I have just a clear day with no meetings and I'll just stay home and just, and something clear to build. Um, I'm kind of like, I, I'm, I've been doing it for so long uh, and I love it so much that nothing scares me at that point. There's no, there's no outside of company, you know, and it'll be stuff that I've never done before or built before, but I'm like, oh, I'll figure this out. I just need to think about it and try stuff and research. And you know, 12 hours later, I'm like, here, I made something. This thing exists now. Uh, and so that, that is totally my, my comfort zone. It's kind of just the world yeah. in my head, basically. And, um, and to, val- well, to validate you, that's my worst nightmare. So that is so <laughs> yeah, like, outside of my comfort, comfort zone. <laughs> not yeah. my comfort zone. Like, first of all, I don't code, nor do I ever want to code. I, I, I can do basic, basic coding, but I don't enjoy it. I just don't yeah. care. Um, yeah. And also like 12 hours of solitude and my face on a computer. <laughs> so not my comfort zone. If I, if I don't talk to somebody, so like, for example, when I go upstate by myself mm-hmm. and sometimes my only communication for the day, and Chris makes fun of me is like literally going to the local grocery store to like thank the register person. Yeah. And like, that's the only human interaction I have. And like, after like three days, my friends will be like, my friend, Aaron, who also Aaron and Marcus, who, you know, um, Aaron will be like, I think you need to spend some time with some people. Like I get like all like, weird upstate like mountain man i'm like kind of yeah. like not at a good place so yeah like carrying <laughs> my face in the computer even yeah. like even like i love video games but even like me after a few hours i'm like all right i need to do something else like i just don't have yeah i also don't have that that's one thing that i really admire about you is like you have a supreme ability to really focus and i just mm-hmm. after a certain time i'm just i get bored no matter what it is mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah i um, i don't get bored i think i think that i um i i kind of attribute it to uh partially to uh, going to being forced to go to Hebrew school and synagogue when I was like really young. And I'm like bored out of my mind for, you know, two, three hours at a time. And, um, it's kind of good training to just <laughs> to retreat, <laughs> to retreat into your own mind and just kind of learn to enjoy, I guess it's sort of like a meditation in a way uh, to learn to enjoy that and, and be comfortable, yeah. comfortable in your own head. Uh, there's obviously lots of downsides to that as well. Um, but yeah, and then on the flip side, it's, it's the extrovert thing, like outside of my, I recently did some, did something that was way outside of my comfort zone. Uh, and that is go to, go to dinner. Well, first, first, I'm sorry. Um, so recently I actually did something that was way outside my comfort zone. Um, and that is go out, go out socially alone. (laughs) I actually, I literally had never done that. Um, 
and uh, Christy was away. It actually, it happened to be the weekend before Halloween. Christy was away for the weekend. Uh, and so, you know, for most of the weekend, I was just hanging out comfortably by myself, <laughs> enjoying myself. And, um, and I remember she had said, she had really um, advised that it's fun to go out uh, to a sushi bar. That's like a good, a good kind of first solo social thing because it's kind of for sure. more socially acceptable. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go to a, we have a really nice sushi place around the corner. Uh, I'm going to go there for dinner. And it was still a little bit uncomfortable, like, but it, I didn't feel awkward that, you know, it was like, you can sit for one at the bar. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm like, first, I'm, I'm not really alone. I'm like texting her that I'm doing it as I'm doing it. I'm like, you know, <laughs> retreating into your phone is kind of, I feel like it's a cop out because like everyone can, you know, if you're alone, you can just sit there and, and be in the virtual world. Um, but I kind of forced myself to put my phone down. And that was a good experience and just kind of really focused on the food and interact with the chef more than I would. Um, and then I felt so kind of confident from that. I was like, and this is Saturday night, by the way. This is a Saturday night in New York, in Brooklyn, um, before Halloween. So it's like a big party weekend. Oh, and yeah. I was like, I was like, I said superlatives before. I like superlatives because I was like, I'm going to go to a bar, a local bar alone. And not like meet, not be like meeting a friend, just like fucking go alone. <laughs> Which, and I was like, because if, if I can do that now and, and like get comfortable with it, it's only, it only gets easier from there, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, that's like a pretty, a pretty kind of aggressive introverted <laughs> thing, thing to do for yeah. an introvert. Um, yeah. And so I did, I, I went out, I mean, alcohol helps for sure, but I went out and yeah. drank and I, I tr really tried to resist the urge to get on my phone because I feel like that's cheating um yeah and it was awkward man it was like the first <laughs> like 20-30 minutes I'm just like you know other people come in and parties and dates and stuff and I'm just sitting there at the bar <laughs> just looking looking around you know uh but it was like it was good because afterwards I was like you know nothing there's no harm done it was like an awkward social experience for me and eventually i started talking to people like people sat down it was it was challenging at first because it was like really sparse too yeah, yeah. Uh, but then once it fills up people fill in and you kind of like interact a little bit and you know uh, it was a good experience that's cool but definitely outside my comfort zone yeah that's super cool it's uh, this this is interesting like i'm a complete people person like 98 percent extrovert like spending tons of time with people two of my favorite things to do are go to movies by myself and go out to eat by myself like with, I'll, so I'll bring like my Kindle and read. Yeah. And, um, or go like, I like one of my favorite things in the world to do is go to a movie by myself, mm. which is kind of cheating. Cause you can't really talk to people anyway. Yeah. That, that, that doesn't, that doesn't scare me. Like I, I yeah. haven't done that, but I would do that cause it's a solo yeah. experience anyway. But, yeah. um, but yeah. And the Kindle, like the phone is, is kind of a cop out. I think in terms of, if, think? in terms of the social, if, if you're in it for like kind of the social challenge, I guess. You know, because yeah. then you, it's like you're occupied or you can go. I mean, I've gone to I've sat at cafes for lunch and worked. Um, you know, that's that's the same thing, effectively, you know. Yeah. What's well, up? Yeah. So for me, the breakthrough is to not meet like 20 people at the bar. <laughs> like for <laughs> yeah. me, as you've seen, yeah, as no you problem. as you alluded to earlier, a few drinks and I'm like, hey, who wants to talk to me? So for right. me, like I don't I don't go to bar. I don't really go to bars my, myself anymore because like busy or I have friends around or yeah. married, but I think that's super cool. And I, I, I'm, I'm guessing you ended up probably having some pretty cool conversations with people. 
Yeah, even just the fact of having of interacting and having conversations and and um, was good. Uh, and again, I'm not. I don't mean to paint myself as like someone who can't talk to people, but it's just like the that it's that like initial ice breaking period of like, hey, are we gonna interact? You know, right? That is yeah. that that I've just never been comfortable with, and so yeah. it's kind of forcing forcing myself to to jump in and see what happens. Is that's cool. cool. That's a yeah. That's a really cool way to practice. I'll. Um, I'll remember that for some of my other friends that are a little more extroverted or introverted. And that's a, I think that's a super cool practice. So uh, moving along, I'm going to give you five minutes to give a speech and you get to give it to the whole world. <laughs> You're the state of the union starring Evan and it's broadcast <laughs> to the whole world. And it's going to be streamed and recorded. So you can, everybody's going to watch it. What would you give I'm your gonna, speech on and why? I'm a, uh... I can't not think of this when I saw this question in your, in your preview email. Um, yeah. I'm just going to plagiarize the speech from uh, Bill, and, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Ah, and it's, it. much, it's a lot shorter than five minutes. Be excellent to each other. And party on dudes. Party on dudes. I have not seen that movie forever. And that's a great message. Be excellent to one another. So what does being excellent to one another mean to you? Uh, well, the more the more less '80s and more colloquial version that I repeat pretty regularly is just don't be an asshole. It's kind of it's really like golden rule stuff. Just like treat others the way you want to be treated. Yeah. And uh, I've I've learned well. I've learned this from a lot of different places, but I have two cats. Or one of them, one of whom has hopefully hasn't impacted the audio, but you've seen no. past the camera See, fifteen times already. It. Haven't heard it. And um, you know, they just they really just want to be loved. That's it. Like they're they're you can trigger their fear really quickly and then they become completely different animals. But at a normal day at home, they like all they want to do is just cuddle and be loved. And I think like that's that's actually all everybody wants. Yep. Period. Like yep. you know, beyond obviously there's there's like basic survival and things like that but it's if you're if you're surviving um and you know you know the maslow's hierarchy stuff sure yeah um i think they're just people want to just want want to be decent to each other and want want to give and receive love yeah sorry that's cheesy but no that's not cheesy at all i think that's beautiful um can i ask you a follow-up question around that sure what are you um what's your opinion on why people are not excellent to each other because a lot of people who are not excellent to each other or really to yeah. in my opinion to most of humanity like what is it that creates that in people i think it's a fear it, it, it's fear at, at the most basic level and it's kind of fear of uh of not actually being able to survive um and you know and a lot of it's weird you know there's there's lots of there's large groups of people where from whom that fear is absolutely legitimate and they mm -hmm. actually are, you know, their daily lives actually are, whether it, whether it's like directly, you know, in terms of like violent conflict survival, um, but even much more indirectly, just kind of, you know, 1% stuff and, and income disparity stuff and people who are just kind of their daily experience is, can I, can I live, you know, can I, can mm -hmm. I make rent? Can I, can I keep this job or whatever it is? Um, and that's, that's, I mean, we could talk for hours on that. It's, it's yeah. tragic. It's tragic. Yeah. But there's also huge groups of people as well who, who really actually are 
are able to survive. Like for whom, if they step back and you really ask them, you know, what is, what, you know, why are, why are you acting that way? They'll, they'll describe it in those terms. And then if you follow up and say, well, are you really, like, what's going to happen? Like, are you really worried about losing your job? You're, you're a VP of whatever. Like, why are you treating everyone like shit? Um, and even if you do lose your job, you're going to go and be a VP of whatever somewhere else. Like, right, it's not, right. it's not the, that, that fear of survival is like, it's kind of this familiar thing that happens, but it's not really founded in their, in their lives. Um, and it's tough because I think like the reality is there's, there's a lot more abundance out there than people, than people internalize. And yeah. I think if, when you do internalize that abundance and, and so they're in a mindset of scarcity. And so they're like, Oh, if, their mindset is like, if I don't, if I don't kind of step, it's a zero something. Like if I don't step over someone and get mine, then someone else is going to get mine, whatever, whatever that thing is, if it's a job or money or, or, or love, you know? Um, and when you shift in that mindset to one of, from scarcity to one of abundance, it becomes a lot easier to be decent to people. Yeah. Well, I'm really, I'm really glad you're, you talked about abundance and scarcity because I was actually going to bring up the scarcity mindset if you didn't. So one of the things, you know, I've been doing a lot of personal development work on myself in the last couple of years. And one of the things I realized working in sales for, you know, up until uh, this year, I've lived in a scarcity mindset almost all the time. Um, oh, wow. Quarter, yeah, which is, it's actually really exhausting. And it's been a really, it's been a big struggle for me to mm -hmm. actually make that shift because mm -hmm. I still look at like my business that I'm building now is like, where's my next clients or like, what am I going to do next? And like, there's never enough. There's never enough. So I've realized that a, a, a context that I live in a lot when I'm in survival mode, which is like mm -hmm. you're talking about is like, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's very destructive. And I'm, I'm doing a lot of work on that and I'm, I'm making the shift to, it sounds like you're more aligned to the abundance mindset. In some ways I'm, starting to see that for myself, but it's definitely a struggle that I have because when you're, yeah. when you get pounded in sales every quarter mm -hmm. and I've worked for a couple of companies where we, we really had like massive quotas that just weren't achievable. We had some product issues or we got, we got lapped in the marketplace by acquisitions. Mm -hmm. it, it, it feels real. Like you're like, it's yeah. scarce to find people who are going to buy this because we're just not competing anymore. Yeah. So it's funny. We like mind melding. Cause I'm like, I'm like, Oh, this feels like abundance and scarcity. And then you're like, yeah, it's abundance and scarcity. <laughs> So yeah. we are on the same page. So thank yes. you very much for that. Yeah. Cool. So just to recap, was it, was it Keanu or was it the, or, or was it, uh, Keanu was Ted, right? And Bill was the Keanu other guy? Keanu was, um, I don't remember which, I don't, I don't actually think that was either. I think it was George Carlin who plays God. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> that's, that's right. I forgot that George Carlin plays God in that. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. I, I haven't thought about that movie in a long time. Talk about a movie with one person who goes on to do a lot of stuff yeah. and the other person, like, I have no idea what uh, the, the guy's doing, but yeah, BX, probably nothing yeah. after that. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're I right. Like the, I think, I think Keanu yeah. was Ted. Yeah. It's a great movie. I need to watch that again. I'm sure it's, I'm yeah. sure it's cheesy, but also super cool. <laughs> so um, this is the part of the show, Evan, where you get to just share like your journey. So like whatever you'd want to share with the audience about you, um, obviously you ended up on the podcast here today. You've done a lot of things in your career. You've done a lot of things in your personal life. Yeah. This is just where you get a chance to open up and share whatever you'd like with, with myself and with the audience. Man, my journey. Um, it's hard not to go straight into like professional journey because you know, the personal stuff comes out 
as you're talking about it, but it, but I don't know, it doesn't feel appropriate to talk about personal journey directly, but you do, I, you, I, I'll, do, I'll do, I guess for, I, I, I certainly, I was talking about being a coder and I, and I really, um, I really just identify as, as being an entrepreneur and a builder and a creator, um, problem solver. Um, I, this is my second, my second kind of true tech startup. Uh, but there's various other businesses that I've started, many of which have been I've started with with my partner with Christy. Um, that's a big, that's a huge part of my journey, my personal journey, um, and they intertwine a lot, uh, which I'll yeah. talk about a, a little bit later. But um, yeah, so I mean, I'd say like the 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 first time around was a, a travel discovery site called Wanderfly. Uh, when we started that to get, we were she and I were co-founders actually two of five co-founders and it should have been we were three by the end of it but that was one of the big things we learned uh, we, we learned in the process uh and that too, was uh, uh sorry Devin. uh you learned too many co-founders like you need to keep yeah this too many too many too many co-founders um too many cooks in the kitchen uh although then there's things like paypal which i think had six and yeah. that worked for them and now they're like this yeah. crew who just grew but um yeah, so we started that in two. We were five years out of school when we started it, and um, started in two thousand nine, and uh, and exited in twenty twelve. So we worked. I mean, really, we started in two thousand eight, but you know, there's kind of different dates to start from when you start mm -hmm. kicking sure. stuff around. But um, a lot of that was, uh, in terms of personal journey, was was just so many. Everything was new all the time, and so it was like this kind of itch of of oh my gosh what 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 are we going to do about this we've never you know we've never fundraised before we've never actually started a, a real company before we've never had employees before all these first and you're kind of you're just thrown in again and again and again and um and so you kind of start you get a little addicted or at least i got addicted to just that that experience of really it's learning at its core where you're like okay this is new i don't know but i have people around me who i trust we're going to do our best and see what happens and then generally somewhere between like two weeks to maybe a couple of months, you kind of look back and you're like, oh, I did that. You know, I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't knock it out of the park on the first one. I, you know, made all kinds of errors, but I still did it. You know, I still, we did raise money. We did build a product. We did do this and this and this. We did hire employees. You know, we made a lot of mistakes and also had to fire employees. That was also a first as well. Um, mm -hmm. And so, but I think in that, in that experience, I really kind of found, found that identity. And I, I always knew, I always wanted to start a company and, and, and be a tech. I knew I was going to be in tech from, I'd say like early college. Um, mm -hmm. But, um, but I think I always kind of knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur as well. Uh, and it also helped, helped that like the New York tech scene was very much blossoming right around that time. The financial yeah. crisis had just happened. Um, actually, we had a really interesting experience where we were just starting. It actually was Living Breathing, which is a consulting business that we started about a year before Wanderfly. Uh, and that was that was really my first company, but we was very non non uh I don't, I don't even need to get it. It was, it was kind of not real in certain respects mm -hmm. um, in, in, in the ways that I'm talking about as like being really like uh, a real company. Um, but we had this experience where like right, maybe like two months before the financial crisis, um, there were several of us, I think four of us who were all leaving our jobs 
And, you know, we would tell people that, and this is back in like early 2008, and you get these crazy looks. Like people, people were like, "Why would you? Why you have these great jobs? You're you're 25 and you have an awesome like you're a producer at a gaming studio. Why would you leave that?" Um, and we're like, "Because I want to do my own thing. Like it's yeah, it's you know." We, and so we made we we all made these decisions very proactively. Literally three months later, when like tons of people lost their jobs, and it became very very suddenly. Uh, cool to start your own thing because it doesn't sound good to say, oh, I, I just got laid off along with 6,000 other people. Um, it sounds good to talk about what you're going to do, right? Right. So yeah, we, got, sure. we got, um, there was one particular day for whatever reason when like five different people reached out to us asking if we were hiring. Like, and <laughs> we went from being like the weird risky choice to somehow this like perceived bastion of stability. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know and, and then in the several years after that then we're like we started companies and stuff and and people and then it became cool to now now if you leave a job and start a company everyone's like hey good good for you that's awesome yeah, oh, yeah. who's your who's your investor or something but yeah. um so it was it was really uh kind of coincidental in, in time wise but it felt it, it was good good to know and i think an important piece of that kind of personal journey to feel like we, we made that decision intentionally um, right. and did decided to do that because we and I wanted to do that. Uh, now, and, and I mentioned, um, you know, I keep getting, well, I made that decision uh, to, to start our own thing and, and to kind of be my own boss. When we exited to TripAdvisor, uh, it, that sucked us straight back into corporate America, you know, and suddenly I had, yeah. I went from, I went from being, being a, a startup CEO to you know, uh, I don't know what my title, director of product of, in some division somewhere, uh, and that uh, I mean it was the right decision for sure to to sell the company. It was time, but um, we went through a pretty massive uh, culture shock. Going from we also had to move for the acquisition, so Christy and I moved up from Boston to our uh, to. Uh, I'm sorry, from, from Brooklyn to, uh, to Boston. And uh, that alone was a, was a culture shock, but we were also working in the suburbs of Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a big culture shock. And then the culture shock of just having a boss, frankly. Um, yeah. Which, and Christy handled it phenomenally. She's like happy to, to she, she's, uh, yeah, she, she's much more, she doesn't have the same kind of uh, need to be an entrepreneur uh, mm-hmm. that I have. So she handled it now, and she's now she's now still she's at Facebook, as, as you were yeah. mentioning. Um, she's totally happy to to be an employee, uh, but I just can't I can't do that anymore. And I and yeah. I, I learned that I learned that at TripAdvisor. I learned that I mean I had already learned it before before starting starting um, Wonderfly, but uh, then I learned it at TripAdvisor, and then I uh, wanted to go back to New York so badly that mm-hmm. uh, Chris and I kind of did a parallel job search and landed back at. Uh, Google for me and Facebook for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there too, that was actually a huge, uh, not culture shock because I like, I like the people at Google. Um, and we were living, we actually moved back to our same apartment in Brooklyn so cool. um, yeah. that we had been living in. So it was, it was like comfortably back there, but it was just very corporate and very um, just shocking to me. I, I, I always had Google as this like 
perfect place to work in my mind. Yeah. And maybe in 2004 and five, when I first wanted to work for Google, maybe it would have been. Um, by the time I started at Google in 2013, it was just super corporate and yeah. million la- layers and levels and hard to get anything done. And and I was just, it was this weird um, cognitive dissonance that I was in for like several years because they wanted to pay me so much money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, 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 one of the only things that's been consistently true is in my entire career is that um, the more someone wants to pay me, the less they want me to actually do. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh I was, and I was surrounded by people and I was like, oh, I'm just raking it in and I'm gonna just, so I'm gonna do that for a little while to just you know shore up the bank account and basically get ready, give myself personal runway for the next startup. And, uh, but it was, I was really truly miserable at Google. I was, um, I was just frustrated at every turn. I wasn't able to get anything done. And I felt like this, uh, kind of, (laughs) I don't know if this is the right metaphor to use, but kind of like a, a powerful machine that was just sitting idling and, you know, capable of so much and having, having just done so much uh at my startup and just i was like they just want to they just want to pay me all this money to like go to meetings and not really do anything and get free great free lunch um and uh, at a point i just said i literally they have they have an internal compensation tool which is kind of funny in and of itself it's like the the num the amount of salaried time that has been invested on building a tool that employ employees can use to see how much money they make um and so i went i logged into this tool i literally took a screenshot this is now uh march of 2016. i took a screenshot uh, of my compensation trajectory and i saved it in a personal file as opportunity cost and i quit and i was like okay so i know my i know my market value and more than i imagined it would be um but uh, but I'm also not doing anything here, and I need to I need to do something. Yeah. So uh, I quit in quit in March of 16, and then um, started started Outlaw with Dan, uh, kind of informally. Basically, just a few months later, we started kicking around kicking around the idea. The idea for Outlaw for this for this contract platform was something I had had from actually for a really, really long time, I'd had this idea of just a better, better editor, basically a better word processor that, that uses uh, more structured data uh, and allows you to kind of have better control over, over a structured, structured negotiation process. Mm-hmm. And it was actually in, in the acquisition when we sold Wanderfly that I was like, I was so disgusted with the process that I was like, okay, I have to, I literally told my team, I was like, this is the next, I'm, this is the next business that I'm starting. It's not going to be now. I'm going to wait a few years and like recoup energy and and uh, and personal finance runway. But uh, but I knew I actually did know that that was going to be the next the next venture. That this this would be the next venture. Uh, but mm. at the moment that, that we sold the first one, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So you had, you had the idea for Outlaw in if I fall that 2012. By, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I remember when you first told me about Outlaw and because I'm a, you know, like software tech person as well and have used like lots of SaaS platforms to do stuff in my day-to-day job and I work for other people as well. I remember I'm like, that sounds amazing. 
Like <laughs> that process is always really crappy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it stinks. And yeah. that would be really good to have something like that. And now I think you guys have been live in the market, um, selling a, a product and great reviews and um, lots of really amazing customers, including some really, really significant brand names. I think it's been out for yeah. about a year and a half now, right? Is that, yeah, yeah. Is a, little over, yeah. a little over a year. Yeah, yeah. I guess a year and a half. Um, I'd say really, really in a real way for the last year. Because um, mm-hmm. we raised we raised friends friends and family money in uh, mid seventeen, and then we raised uh, was that yeah yeah mid mid late late seventeen and um and then raised uh, a, a venture well it's now called a seed round what would what used to be called a Series A but yep. um a two million dollar uh, seed round uh, almost exactly a year ago in December of, in nice. December of twenty eighteen. Yeah, uh, and and really following following that, that's that's like once once you have venture money, even if it's not a ton of venture money, that's when you that's when it gets real. Basically, um, you've got you know you you mature uh, in a lot of really good ways. Like it's been it's we've had a really good experience with with our lead investor, um, but uh, so I kind of consider that yeah we had a product that we were kind of technically selling before that, but selling enough to to show them to show investors like hey there's something here. But yeah. um, now it's like a repeatable, like we know who our market is. We know, we know how to serve that market. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun at this point. We're, we're in yeah. really good shape. We have an awesome team. Um, so yeah, that's, I, guess that, I guess that brings us current. Yeah, it's pretty current. Um, what's, been the, what's been the biggest surprise in your journey with Outlaw specifically? The biggest surprise? Well, it's... It's fucking hard to hire great salespeople. That's been the biggest. I don't know if that's. I guess that's a surprise. Yeah. Um, did you not have salespeople? To, did you not have salespeople at Wonderfly? Were you? You guys doing your <laughs> internal? We sales never or? really. We never really had a. We never at Wonderfly. We never really knew what our business model was. It was like it was consumer travel, and so like. Truth be told, that the idea for the company was the the idea was never really a business idea; it was a product idea. And um, while the same, while, while there was definitely, I would still say, Outlaw was primarily a product idea as well. But mm-hmm. it was a product idea in a market where there's no there's no question about whether there's a business model there. Right. It's right. Like okay, it's it's business software. The business model of business software is you sell the software to other businesses. There's a lot of That's questions right. of like how how big and who's your market, what verticals and all that, and what's the sales process look like. But we've we've known what our business model is from the very start. Um, so that's been, and that was one of the huge things that I really consciously wanted to do differently the second time around. Yeah. Um, but so we never really had a like a, a sales force that we were hiring and building <laughs> in the first one. But uh, this time, because my co-founder and I are both product, he, he's a he's a designer. And, um, and also, I don't know, I think you know this, but, uh, for, for the audience, um, it's actually how we got our name outlaw is mm-hmm. that, um, Dan, uh, is my co-founder and we met because, uh, Dan and I are, are the, uh, significant others of two sisters, two sisters. So we're both in long-term relationships and neither, neither couple is married, but both are, are, you know, kind of life life partnership type relationships. Yeah. And um and so we actually had already called started calling each other brother outlaws as opposed to so like good. Brother, as opposed to in-laws. 
And then we, we started working on this before we actually had the name. We kind of chose a silly working title called Deal Master Pro 5000. Um, so yeah, you should. I, I think <laughs> I think you should have stuck with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. We, we we chose that because I wanted. I know how easy it is to get attached to something after you've been working on it for a while, yeah. and to not not do the proper kind of naming and branding exercise. So I said, let's let's work on it and call it something totally preposterous and silly, so that there's no chance that we're going to get attached to that. So we worked on it and started building this whole thing. And uh, and then when we were looking for a name, it was okay. We're we're it's a it's kind of like a a leading edge legal tech thing. It's about law and stuff, and we're already calling each other outlaws. So so that's that's the name. That's perfect. That's yeah. that's super cool. Uh, so obviously you've had a real entrepreneurial journey, and in in between that you worked for Google. Curious for the for the entrepreneurs listening today, if you've got any sage wisdom or something for somebody who's out there listening who's where you were in 2008 and you're like, Hey, I want to start a company. Like what, what would you give the advice to? And I know you probably do some mentoring in the space now already. Like what's the, yeah, yeah. What's kind of the first piece of advice you give to people? Yeah. When they, when they start, when they say, I want to start a company, I say, go and start a company, go do it. That's it. I mean, it's the, it's the yeah. Nike, it's the Nike slogan. Just do it. Um, yeah. There's no starting a company, especially now in 2019 or almost 2020. Um, it's like, it's it's the thing you don't need any other training for. Like for one, the only real training you can get for it is by doing it. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like the guidance and the wisdom and how do I do this, there's so much of it available online. Uh, and there's these these really kind of rich startup culture and, and networks that are available to anyone really who wants to join them and just start going. Go to go to startup events and meetups and things like that. But really, it's just just start doing it. Like the the cost of incorporation is like two or three hundred dollars, right. and you can do a bunch of stuff before you even incorporate. Right. Uh, so it it basically it costs nothing to start effectively, um, and you're also not going to know whether you really want to do it until you start doing it. So I I'm yeah. very I really enjoy. I always tell people like. I've, I've got, I've done this several times. Uh, and I also, until I have other friends who are like, who are like, Oh, I'm thinking about leaving. I'm thinking about starting my thing. Um, I mean, I probably, I probably gave you this speech when you were talking about your coaching man. I'm like, yeah, anyone who, anyone who like, who, who does kind of want a push. Some people don't, some people, they say it. And I think they, they say they want to start something because they think that's what I want to hear. And I'm like, I don't uh, care what you want to do. If you want to be a, an employee, great, fine. Yeah. Like, whatever makes you happy. But, but, some, but some people, you know, are, are kind of like, oh, I'm, I've been wanting to do this for a while. I'm thinking about doing it. I'm like, I'll give you, I'll give you that push. If you're, if you're ready for yeah. that and, and you're asking for that, for that push, um, I, I, love, I love doing that for people. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, no yeah. one ever regrets it. That's, that's the other thing. Like yeah. no one, I have not talked that's not to say it will always work out people people start stuff and it doesn't work out and then they either start something else or go back to a go back to a corporate job or something but i have out of probably hundreds of current and wannabe on and and past entrepreneurs that i've talked to i haven't heard anyone say that they regretted doing it that's right yeah so just 
a little bit about my story here or what I've experienced is, um, and I don't know if this has been your experience. It's never fast enough. Like, yeah. like whatever speed you think you're going to go at. And I, I think you and I are similar. We're both guys yeah. where we know how to get stuff done and like set up things quickly and get it moving. Yep. But it's just not, it's just like never fast enough. Um, and I'm even for me, like I've been on my own for six months now. And in some ways I've created this amazing life that I never knew existed a year ago, but otherwise I'm like, man, it feels like I'm just not really doing anything. And like, <laughs> it's like almost like a battle day to day. So I guess the advice I'd give to the audience is whether you want to start like a coaching business, consulting, you want to start a tech startup, anything you want to do is like, the, that's the one thing I hear from most everybody. It's never happens as fast as you think it's going to, because mm-hmm. it's just not a, there's just a lot of things that you like can't predict. And there's yep. going to be a tremendous roller coasters of up and ups and downs. Yeah. But I, I'm, you know, I'm with you, like no matter, uh, I, I, it's been the best six months of my career and I've been working for almost 20 years. So yeah, um, I, I completely agree with that sentiment. So that's a good uh, little segue into the part of the show where you get to ask me anything you would like. And um, yeah, really the sky's the limit. I mean, I reserve the right to uh, punt and go to the next question. Yeah. But I, I don't, I, based on the fact that you kept the PG before, I think you're probably, you're probably giving me something good and juicy here. So Evan, what would you like <laughs> to ask me that I can answer for, for I, you well, and for I, the audience? We were, when, we were, when we were talking about abundance, scarcity, uh, I think I, I really, that, that theme, I, I love hearing that that's come, that theme is coming up for you. It's been coming up oh, yeah. for me in a, lot, in a lot of different respects. And I was curious to go deep. I was, I was actually surprised, but it, your, your backstory made sense. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious to hear more about that journey because that's a challenging that's a really challenging journey it's awesome that you're identifying that you've identified that you are going through it and that you want to go through it but it's also not the kind of thing that that i believe people can just do by wanting to do it it's like you have to have experiences that that teach you that the world is different from what you thought it was you know yeah. or that it can be different yeah. from what, so i'm curious like to i don't know what my question is just to to hear yeah. more yeah. So this is, um, so there's a question in there. Uh, I think the question is like, uh, what's your viewpoint on kind of what I alluded to with the abundance and scarcity. So, or, or, how, um, far, it, or how close are you? Like you, you talked yeah. about shifting, like, are yeah. you, where, where are you? In that? <laughs> what time is it? It depends. It depends on the, uh, on the hour of the day for yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, um, so this is just to back it up a little bit. So this is something in the coaching world we call a context. So a context is the lens that you view the world through and then everything else that is underneath it is like the content, right? So um, you can have an abundance mindset or a scarcity mindset around almost anything. And I think you alluded to it. So you said love. So for some people they are like, oh my God, I have so much love. Some people it's, it's never enough. It's never a month, mm-hmm. never enough. The two contexts that I hear most of my clients come with a scarcity mindset are two things. One, uh, financial or possessions or net worth and all that. It's just not enough. It's not enough. I need to either I need to pay bills or I think I need enough. That's the first one. And being in, in, I kind of alluded to this when I was mentioning being patient for me, that's like my scarcity is like, I want more clients. I want them to pay me more like mm-hmm. totally normal business owner. The second context that I actually have an abundance mindset around, which I've been told makes me a, a quite an aberration. And one of my friends calls me uh, like they, they say I'm like Neo in the matrix around this is time. So there's a lot of people who have a super scarcity mindset around time. I never have enough time to do all the things I want to. And so for me, like 
where I really struggle is like I have a scarcity mindset around money and an abundance mindset around time. Like my friend, I actually reviewed with my friend, Anna, who's uh, been on the show. She said, can you just walk me through what you did yesterday? And I was like, sure. And she got done. She goes, how is that possible? And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> and she's like, you literally did like 24 different things that moved you forward. And you spent time with your family and you talked to friends and you played some video games, like all these things. So with me, like time, I like to play with time. So I have, I'm good on the abundance there. The scarcity comes around, um, which I think is very normal for people that are entrepreneurs is I worked for 20 years in corporate. So for 20 years, I got a paycheck every two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly when I left and, you know, the first two Fridays after I left, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, wait, the, the, there's no, there's no <laughs> paycheck. Wait, wait, I, I thought I was supposed to just make all this money back right away. So the scarcity comes around comparing for me really comes down to comparing what I only thing I ever knew mm-hmm. to this new unknown for me. And yes, like logically, yeah. I know that I'm not going to make the same money, mm-hmm. but it's like the tricks that are mine of like, um, like a lot of people compare themselves to other people. I compare, yeah. I, I kind of have this weird thing where I compare my new to my old Jason. It's like a new, like a new coach, yeah. Jason, yeah. entrepreneur, Jason yeah. to that. So I'm hard on myself because I compare myself like, well, you used to do this, you used to make this. So you should be able to make this like three months in. It's like, really? Yeah. Is that realistic? So, um, some days I feel very, I feel a, a tremendous sense of gratitude and I feel grateful and I'm like, Hey, like I'm patient, I'm good. Mm-hmm. But one of the, I have two, I have two contexts that I live in a lot, which is the struggle I have one. It's not enough. This is a financial clients, my business, all that stuff. Second context I live in a lot is um, if I'm being patient, I'm not working. Like for me, for me, I have to be impatient in order to drive myself, which is very oh, destructive. And I know that. Yeah. Even with yourself. Yeah. With myself. So like I, uh, you know, starting this business, I'm out doing the work all the time. Like I have a meeting, a ton of people planting seeds, Mm-hmm. Probably what you do, like when you started out law, like you're out like talking to anybody who's going to listen, like, hey, I'm starting this contract yeah. lifecycle management platform. I'm doing the same thing. And then when that doesn't immediately result yeah. in yeah. my business story, I'm like, <laughs> what's going wrong? So for me, it's like, it's all about impatience. Yeah. And uh, that relates to the scarcity mindset. But there are days where I'm like, like today, I'm in a, I'm in a like, hey, I'm patient. Uh, and then tomorrow might be, I might wake up and be like, what's yeah. wrong with you? Why aren't they calling me back? <laughs> That's Why right. Why aren't they calling Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you're so, right. You're right to identify that um, that that's a rare, uh, valuable mindset to be in around time. To feel like you have all the time you need, uh, and to be able to just be generous with it, and and still do everything you need to do. And I think that's I think the the scarcity you're experiencing on the <laughs> I guess on the results side, or ha- having it not right, yeah. go as fast as you want it to go, is because the rest most of the rest of the world, as you pointed out feels uh, really scarce about time. Yeah. And so it's, yeah. it's um, yeah, I totally agree with you. It's like in terms of not happening as fast as you want it to happen. It's because like, you're there, you've made the decision or you've done, you're ready to go. Why isn't everyone else ready? Well, it's because they're, they're like busy as hell and like, right. Like might really want, might, I'm sure you have coaching clients who are, or soon to be coaching clients who are like, oh my God, like who they're sold, right? They're, they're like, yes, yeah. I want to do this. I'm ready yeah. to go. Maybe they even sign something. Maybe they even pay you, and then they like cancel and cancel and cancel, or like they they stretch it out, and you're like, and, and it just takes longer because they don't have yeah. that abundance of time. 
or, or they don't yeah. think they do. Yeah. Well, and then that's something that we get to work on together once they become yeah. clients, which is super cool. Like I liken this to, there are like, there are, um, companies that outlaw is the absolute perfect solution for mm -hmm. the ROI is almost immediate. And they're just like, no, cause I got, you know, like, Oh, it's the end of the year. Like all these excuses. Yeah, it's the same exactly. thing. Yeah. And or, or we get, it. or we get someone who, who they actually, we actually get them over the line and they, and they sign the contract and then it takes them, you know, months longer to get started using it and we're ready to go. We're like, all right, your templates are there. You're ready. Like you are ready to use this. Um, but then they have to, they just don't, they, they, they have a million other things going on. And so it doesn't really cost us any, if anything, it costs them something because we're billing monthly yeah. or annually. And so they're, they're just, you know, sitting on the platform uh, for a couple of months before they start to become active. But it's, yeah, I totally, I totally identify with uh, when you're saying it's, it doesn't feel fast enough. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, we, we're constantly joking about just startup time being in being just like a different dimension. Oh yeah. And what we consider Great. fast, like we we're able to move at the speed of our own decisions, basically. Which right. happen there's only ten of us and there's only, you know, in any in any particular uh, domain, uh, there's usually only two or three of us making a decision. And That's so right. the actual decision takes half an hour. You talk about it and you decide something. And then it and then it becomes truth. <laughs> but that's right. But then, that's right. We're like, we need to update our prices. Okay, the prices are updated. Done. <laughs> why hey, Dad, go change the website. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why, why doesn't why doesn't the world know about our new prices? Well, because they're busy doing other things, right? <laughs> yeah. So there's a there's an interesting thing, and and then we'll turn it back around on you because I don't know why I'm talking about this. this is too long for me. Like this is terrible. <laughs> I guess um, I asked. I did, I guess I did a. I had a good question then. You had a great question. So there's um, there's a podcast I listen to that's really good, and it's around uh, it's a sales podcast. And this person has this really cool thing that I remind myself of, and I think it's useful for you for you to give to your sales team. And for me, is like, and this goes to abundance mindset. Like, what would you do differently if you truly believed that every that there was more customers out there than Outlaw could ever serve? If there's more, if my, if my ideal clients, if there's more ideal clients for Jason than I could ever, ever serve, like I would have a waiting list of like five years, how would I operate and what would I do from an abundance mindset of like, how would I show up? What, what's the thing that I'm putting off doing that I would actually take on believing that that's true because it's almost factual that it actually is true. Like yeah, there is, there's enough customers for outlaw to IPO or whatever it is that you have in, in mind for your company. I, you know, we all are limited by some sort of bandwidth at some point. I mean, you can hire more people. I could hire more coaches, but I'm limited only by my bandwidth. And as we talk about, not really my time because I play with the time. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, just like, what would you do? What would you do if the, like, I think this is good for salespeople too. Is like, what would you do if you knew your perfect prospect that was the elephant that was going to make your quota for the year was out there because they are out there. They mm -hmm. actually are. Mm -hmm. You just got to go find them. Yeah. What would I do? I, I don't know if this is a... I, I think I am, I think I am doing what I would do. Cause I do believe I, that. So, yeah. I do genuinely like, uh, and, and my goal is not IPO right now. My goal is, you sure. know, we have, we have a seed round of, of cash in the bank. Uh, we have still a healthy amount of runway even after a year. Uh, and so we're, our, our goal is uh, basically viability, you know, make it get, yeah. get enough customers uh, to become to closer, not, not necessarily uh, profitable, but, but like, with profitability and or sustainability in sight, 
uh, and it's it's you know TBD whether whether that's possible on the exact runway we have. But you know, as long as we're making progress, I'm not I'm not too. I have a really long list of investors who are trying to put more money in, so I feel like capital is available. I'm not freaking out about runway, uh, and we don't need to we don't need to have you know a thousand times as many customers as we have. We need to get like three to five times as many customers as we have right. to reach that. And we just tripled our sales team. So it's, I feel like, you know, we're going to get there. It's, it's, yeah, it doesn't take as, as long it, it each, any individual deal uh, is, um, you know, it takes longer than I want it to take, but I, I feel very confident that, uh, that we're going to get there and I'm just trying to enjoy the process. Uh, yeah. And I think, so I, I guess, I guess that's my answer is like, is try, try to take it easy when you can and not take it easy, but like not, not sweat the things you can't control um, and try to enjoy it. Try, try, try to enjoy these, these stages and this, this scale that we're at. Uh, and also know that, um, that you can't, you know, I, I, this might sound, I don't know if this sounds contradictory or not, but I really, really believe in karma. Um, and I also believe the, the sales kind of adage that it's a numbers game. Mm-hmm. And so I, I feel like no individual deal is within our control. You know, as much as we might feel like, oh, this one's going to close. You never know. Something could, you know, the person could leave the company or, oh, God, yeah. what, or they lose budget or whatever. Um, but it is, you can get better and better at, uh, for one, you can have, always have lots of, lots of pokers in the fire, lots of, lots of opportunities at any point. And you can, you can, you talked about planting seeds earlier. Um, you, you, you never know which seed is going to grow, but you, right. but you do know if you plant enough seeds and they're, and, and kind of plant karmic seeds as well. And just mm-hmm. are a decent person going back to, and like be, treat people well and show up positively and be present and like care for people and care for your customers. That's going to work. <laughs> that's going to work a certain percentage of the time and just keep going. Like keep keep going and keep doing that. Stop doing the stuff that doesn't work. So you stack the odds in your favor. Like after you feel like, oh, I said this, you know, whatever the scenario is, like I I said this to a prospect and they kind of lost interest or whatever. Recognize that. Have the humility to to recognize the things that you're doing that are that are failing. Stop doing those things and just keep going. (laughs) And and then it kind of magically succeeds because what you're really doing is you're like repeating trial after trial after trial, but you're stacking the odds. It's not a scientific thing where you're just doing the same thing, no matter what you're, right. you're stacking the odds of success in your favor by continuously eliminating the stuff that doesn't work. And if you do that and you keep going, you ha- like, it's almost statistically guaranteed. You will eventually succeed if you have enough, if you have enough stamina, basically. So the, I want to rephrase yeah. that whole thing for you, if I could. Yeah. What you need to keep doing is partying on dudes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> partying on dudes. Be excellent, Be excellent to one another and party on dudes. Be excellent to each other and party on dudes. Yeah. Oh, George, that's amazing. That's so good. Um, so we're going to wrap up in, in, a, in a little bit, but I, I do have a few more questions for you if you have a little bit more yeah. time. Yeah, please. So... And you shared like, so, you know, you've, you've got a long-term relationship. You lived in, uh, in New York, you moved to Boston for a while. You've sold a company. You've worked at one of the best companies in the world by any, you know, like Glassdoor or anything. You've started your second company now. So 
you know, you talk about a lot of different things. Oh, and, and you have cats. You also mentioned you have cats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got a, a cat babies. What's the, what's something that comes to mind for you that's something that you're most proud of or what's one of the, what's something that like comes to mind for me what you're most proud of? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's actually that first, that first thing you rattled off in there. I know we talked a lot about professional stuff and gotten into the personal, but, um, I think I, Christy and I have been together since uh, freshman year of college. And that puts us oh at, uh, at almost 19 years. Uh, Unbelievable. Right probably, probably 19 years by the time this airs. And, um, although I don't know how fast you're moving with your, <laughs> with the production, but, um, well, it depends. Yeah. It depends if you want me to impress Christy or not that, that how, how soon do you want her to hear this answer? And that's when we'll put it out. <laughs> you know, I actually, I told her, I told her this answer. Actually, I was, I, uh, I gave her the pre, I, I kind of gave away the punchline, but, nice. um, yeah, I mean, you know, as with any relationship, there's ups and downs and challenges. Um, 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 it's not, it's not just the, it's not the time alone that I'm proud of, but I think it's that we are, our relationship is so, um, just multidimensional and we are such, we have so many things that we share, uh, and we're such equals in it, uh, which creates in probably in some ways more challenges, mm -hmm, <laughs> you know, because sure. um, we, we don't, we don't, we very consciously don't conform to various, various uh, kind of traditional roles. Uh, and we really, really treat each other as equals and um, have, have, you know, a, a rich life together, but also have independent, independent lives as well. And things that we're each of us is re respectively into. Uh, and that's hard. <laughs> yeah. you know it's it's hard to to do that and to allow each other to to change uh both both individually and and to get sorry my cat here is, is pushing my computer down <laughs> um but uh yeah so I'm, I'm proud that we've we've um yeah that we that we've continued to be partners for all this time and continue to do so uh just with a with a ton of love and compassion um yeah and and you know we really adventure together i, I yeah. talked about the, the first the first that's kind of like i, I kind of believe that uh relationships and companies and like any any big kind of thing that you can kind of draw a line around like have i believe in dna of that thing mm -hmm. and i feel like our dna as a couple is like co-pilots co or co-adventurers and cool. we'll, we'll kind of look at something and it's not that we're all equal in everything or, or do the same thing. A lot of, in a lot of respects, it's complementary skills of, and, and, and mindsets, um, but that we'll just have a ton of respect for each other and jump in together. Yeah. Well, I mean, you did start a company called Wanderfly. So by definition, that immediately brings adventure to mind. Exactly. Yeah. And we, yeah. and that was our experience in that it was, you know, there's a lot of, you don't realize, you don't realize kind of how much, how much of that karma and kind of, uh, I, don't know, I don't know, destiny is an overly strong word, but uh, is, is in there in that at the time when it's happening. Um, but yeah, we, we obviously, we love traveling together, but we started a, a company that is about traveling <laughs> uh, and, and, um, and about enabling other people to travel and, and that the adventure of the company was the, was the bigger adventure uh, for us than, than any individual trip. Actually, we kind of ironically 
traveled very little <laughs> in those years. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although the second that we sold, then we started traveling a lot more. Uh, oh, I can imagine. We both had income and had corporate jobs for a while. Yeah, I, was, I always have great admiration for people that meet their partner in college. Because I was like, when you're like 19, I'm like, dude, I was a disaster when I was 19. Like 19 to like, I met Kirsten when I was 29, almost 30. And I always tell her if I would have met her a year before, we wouldn't be married. Like I was like, so the fact that you've maintained that relationship, um, even at that age to have that maturity, because I know I there's I did not. I would have, yeah, of a great admiration. Well, it's, we we didn't necessarily either. That's the thing. I mean, we're we've both yeah. changed a lot, and we've we've taken care of each other. And and I think probably the hardest general thing is is giving giving each other the ability to change through those through those. Um, through those important years and important life stages and not saying, not assuming that the other person or that yourself is the same person that you were at 19 or 24 or 27, you know, or, or before versus after key yeah. events and kind of giving people the freedom to actually evolve is yeah. that's hard. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. You ever heard the, it's a saying for marriage, but I think it applies to just long relationship is, uh, men uh, married to women expecting them never to change and they always do. Mm-hmm. And women get married to men expecting them to change and they never do. I would, <laughs> yeah, say I, in my, I, I would say in my marriage, that is pretty accurate. And I say that in like a, in a both a positive and negative way for me, I'd say like Kirsten has just gotten better with age. I would say like in some ways I'm like the same, I'm still that same 19 year old kid in many ways. As we talk about like mm-hmm. playing video games and <laughs> uh, being impatient and all that stuff. But uh yeah, it's definitely relationships are a journey. It's a lot of work, but it's obviously the most important thing. So I think it's yeah. super cool that this thing you're most proud of. What what's your general philosophy on life? And you've been weaving this in and out through the entire conversation. How would you summarize your philosophy on life? And I, you know, I'm not even sure we need to because I feel like George Carlin kind of already summarized it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm not sure there's much more to say, but if there's anything like else you'd like to add to that. Yeah, I, I think I think we we've hit it pretty well between that between that quote and between all of our discussion around abundance and scarcity. Uh, I really do believe uh, abundance is is possible. Uh, it's not everyone's experience, but it's my experience, and it's and I think it's possible that it could be the experience of many many more people. Um, but uh, and I also I guess I guess along those same lines, I, I don't think that. I don't think people are, people love to talk about human nature as if it's like either good or evil. Um, and I actually think that it's, it's in both, both are in, both of those things are in all of us. And, and it really very closely maps to, to that mindset and to people's experiences with scarcity and abundance. And uh, when you see people do really, some really heinous things <laughs> to use another eighties word, um, <laughs> You know, I think frequently I, I even even when I'm even when I'm on the receiving end of that, and it's tempting to be like, oh, that's a terrible person. Um, some of the people who have done the worst things to me, I still don't say, oh, they're they're bad people. I just kind of sometimes it'll take me months or years to get to this point, but I'll say, you know, no, they're they're it's it's a maladaptation. You know, they they are they're in that scarcity mindset. And they're lashing out just like a just like a scared animal who can seem really vicious. Again, I kind of hark back to my cats, and they can seem super vicious just all of a sudden out of nowhere because they get really scared. 
and they'll swipe. I mean, my cats almost never swipe at humans, but you know, if you threaten them, they will, they will, they will attack. Sure. And, and there's some people who feel threatened all the time. And so they attack all the time. Um, and that, that's tragic, but I, I think that it's not, I think it's, uh, I don't think people are good or bad. I think people have, have propensity for, for an abundance mindset and to operate in a, out of place, out of a place of generosity and love. And they have, if they fall into the scarcity mindset, they can operate out of a place of fear and aggression. Um, so it's kind of, that's everyone's journey, you know? Yeah, that's cool. Well, um, I want to thank you for coming on today. It's been awesome. Sure, the audience is going to love to you know connect with you and get to know you further. So, where can we find you? Like, where can we find more about Outlaw, about you personally? Like, how do you like to connect with the people? Yeah, I uh, so certainly on the Outlaw front, uh, we are as I mentioned on as I mentioned, uh, we're, we're in in um, rapid customer acquisition mode. So the the website is getoutlaw.com. Uh, and there's a pretty prominent, if you, if you think you may need a contract platform, there's a pretty prominent, um, demo book, booking link. So book a demo and talk to our sales cool. team. Um, on the personal front, I, I, I'm kind of somewhere in between, uh, in terms of time, time between my, my abundance and scarcity mindset. I have plenty of personal time for, uh, for, friends and for new friends and new, new connections. Um, I would kind of just say, you know, go, I'm not going to, I don't want to share my, my email and and number. I get a lot of, I I unfortunately get a lot of, uh, as you kind of mentoring requests and, and Hey, I'm in this space too. Let's meet up for coffee. And I just, I just don't have time for, for those. I would love to, I would love to spend a half an hour with every entrepreneur who's thinking about getting pushed over the edge into doing it. I just can't. Um, Yeah. So yeah, I'd say certainly connect with our company. Uh, if it's, if, if there's, I mean, that said, I will, I, when I get, when I get a really genuine, like even just an email, um, sure. I'll pretty much, if, if it's a, I'll, I'll generally respond. So nice. What, um, uh, just to wrap on back to the outlaw piece, what kind of, what's your ideal client look like? What kind of, what's the ideal customer look like for you? Oh, just a, like a mid-market, a mid-market company. Uh, we're still, we're still, uh, we serve a variety of verticals, so I don't want to go too deep into a vertical uh, mm-hmm. mindset, but a lot of service businesses, a lot of uh, logistics kind of stuff, and a lot of tech, uh, kind of mid, mid-stage tech startups. Um, we were really strong in like an MSA, service agreement, engagement agreement kind of uh, context. So I'd say, call it a two or 300 person company with maybe 10 to 30 people touching contracts. And that's usually across a couple of couple of, you know, maybe a, an in-house legal team of two or three uh, sales team of 10 or 20 uh, operations, people, things like that. And we, we just uh, help really help all the stakeholders involved get on the same page, uh, ensure compliance, ensure that you don't have rogue salespeople going Going off and changing contract language when they really should not salespeople. No, yeah. and let's be honest. That that's generally that's one of the top like one or two complaints when we talk to general counsels. Um, so they love the ability to kind of lock certain things down, but also empower people to do other things so that they don't have to be the bottleneck. So yeah, it's a, it's a small 
to medium groups group of users who just want to be able to to go from contract generation to negotiation all the way through e-signing more fluidly. Uh, and it's a great experience for the counterparty. That's the other. That's that's what we know because we've been building it and using it for years now. Uh, and and customers, it's it's awesome seeing the the light turn on as they start using it and as as they start seeing how much easier it is not just for them but for their counterparties which makes it easier for them too it makes it easier to, right. to, to close faster so uh yeah hopefully, hopefully that answers the yeah cool the, and i'll be the acronym target I, icp ideal customer profile ideal customer profile yeah so i will um be sure in the show notes uh to add in all the urls so people can easily find you yes. and uh want to wrap up and just thank you for thank you for being on today it's been a really pleasure to talk Likewise. to you to learn some new things me. about you. Yeah, it's been yeah. awesome. And I uh, wish you the best of luck with everything you're doing. Thank you, Jason. Thanks, Adam. Bye.